One of the most impactful developments in this current pandemic crisis is the closing of all the schools around us. All of a sudden, parents are trying to provide education for their kids at home. It's produced, although it's serious in many effects, it has produced uh, some funny comments on social media that I've been able uh, to discover. Here are a few that tickled me. One family writes this, homeschooling two children, day two. One is in detention, the other is expelled. Another family writes, homeschooling, day three. They've all graduated, hashtag done. Another one writes this, and just like that, prayer and spanking are back in school. Or another one, I saw my neighbor out in her driveway yesterday scraping the my child is an honor student sticker off of her minivan. <laughs> well, we're all adjusting and we're all coping in different ways. And as we go to God's word this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we ask that you guide us from your word. Thank you that as we open our Bibles, this is your word to us. You speak to us, you encourage and help us from your revelation. So Lord, we pray that you would do just that. Help us not only to hear the word, but to believe what you say and to be acting in ways that are in obedience to what we hear you say to us today. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 90. That's our passage today, Psalm 90, with the key concept being this, God never changes. God never changes. The change that has come over our city, nation, and world in the last few weeks is just unbelievable. If we were able to be transported back in time to New Year's Day 2020, and while watching our football games and eating our nacho fries, someone would, said to, would have said to us, hey, you know what? I hear that in nine weeks, sports events, worldwide travel, international business will all be suspended and the, and the stock market will plummet. I hear further that in 11 weeks, schools will close, whole communities will be asked to shelter in place, and even churches will not be able to meet in person. And in 12 weeks, the National Guard will be staffing our food banks and off the California coast, a floating hospital will be docked. If those things were part of the conversation, New Year's Day 2020, we would have laughed at that person saying that's an impossibility. But yet here we are. We've experienced cataclysmic cascading change in response to the Cornoa corona, excuse me, pandemic, and it's not over. And that's why it's so important to know that when it feels like we're on shaky ground, when everything is changing, our God never changes. God is eternal. What do you think of when you hear the word eternity? For some of us, keeping a smile on our face until the camera shutter clicks, that feels like eternity. For others, 20 minutes of aerobic exercise, that seems like eternity. Or maybe listening to a six-year-old explain the plot of a really neat movie, that seems eternal. Housebreaking a new puppy, that seems like eternity. Or sitting in the examination room with one of those breezy hospital gowns on, this seems like eternal times to us. But today, we're not talking about how we experience, experience eternity. We're talking about the eternity of God and what the eternity of God means to us today. So Psalm 90, reading the first two verses, it goes like this. 
Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This psalm that we're looking at today is thought to be the oldest of all the psalms. It's written by Moses, and he tells us about what theologians call the eternity and the immutability of God. Simply put, it means this. God always was and always will be, and God never changes. Now, the eternity of God is a hard concept for us to grasp, because if anything is true about human beings, if we share anything by virtue of our nature, it is that we are time-bound beings. We are moving through time. As such, we are not eternal beings. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor. You tell me that when I accept Christ as my personal Savior and come to know Him as my Lord, I gain eternal life. And that's absolutely true. If you know Christ as Savior, you have eternal life and that's happening right now. Right now, you are already living forever. But we are not eternal in the sense that God is eternal for two reasons. Number one, we all have a beginning. And number two, we are all moving within the confines of time. And we have no choice about that. But when we try to comprehend real eternity, true eternity, our minds fall short because we are bound in time. You may escape the effects of many things in your life, but you will not escape the passage of time. I know there are age-defying wrinkle creams. I know there are methods of plastic surgery, but eventually, for all of us, no matter the tummy tuck, no matter the Botox, time always wins. True eternity, however, means being without a beginning and without an end, outside of time. Jesus says this about himself in Revelation chapter 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. An eternal being has no beginning and no end. Eternal being also exists primarily outside of the movement of time, not time-bound as we are. One theologian puts it this way, God has a simultaneous possession of his total duration. He sees the past and the future as vividly as he sees the present. A timeless God is both in the past, in the present, and in the future. C.S. Lewis is helpful to visualize this for us. He says this, if you picture time as a line drawn on a page, we travel along that line, but God is the page itself, all around, different from, distinct from time, and he himself is the cause of time. Now, Moses grapples with ways to express this to us. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 90. He says, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. He's trying to express to us that a thousand years is insignificant to God. It's just like a day, or even more, just like a portion of the night. You see, in ancient times, the night was divided into four watches. The watchmen were stationed for the protection of the village or the town, and they had to stay awake during that period of time. And, and when their watch was over, they would call out, all is well, if it was well indeed. Now for the people in the village, the, the sleeper, they would maybe wake, and, wake up just a little bit 
And it would seem like nothing has happened. Just a second of time has passed as they doze off to sleep again. It's like when you hit the snooze alarm in your alarm clock. It goes off in the morning and you want just 10 minutes more of precious sleep. So you hit that snooze alarm and it goes off again. And it seems like only five seconds has passed. You think this clock must be broken. But actually those 10 minutes have elapsed. But you haven't been awake to realize it. This is the idea that Moses is trying to convey. God is eternal. He is above and beyond the movement of time. But Moses says something more than that. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Not only is God just eternal, he is an eternal dwelling place. Now, I think we miss the emotion of what would have been inside that, that expression for Moses. Because scholars speculate that Moses writes these words towards the end of the wilderness wanderings. Forty years of longing for home, possibly at the very time when he finds out that he personally is not able to enter the promised land. This long journey for him is not going to pan out in, in entering the dwelling place, the promised land for his people. But he speculates about that and he thinks about that as he ponders that he says you know really no place is actually my dwelling place God is my dwelling place he's where I am actually home secure and safe I wonder if you've ever been on a trip so long where you started to ache for home when you started just to yearn for the ability to sleep in your own bed and be in your own room once again I remember a feeling like that. I was one of those kids that when school got out for the summer, I was almost immediately packed off to summer camp. My, my parents did not like the idea of me hanging around the house with nothing to do all summer. And so I would go to camp and then and when the camp ended, they would pick me up and we would spend uh, another few weeks camping together as a family. And before long, I started to long for sleeping in my own bed. Or seeing my own room just to be home again because home brings that feeling of security and rest and refuge and safety picture the children of Israel and Moses on a 40-year camping trip picture a whole generation growing up nothing but camping longing for home and Moses says the eternal God represents that to me he represents all those feelings to me he is my dwelling place. In him I am secure. In him I am comforted. In him I am at rest, my eternal God. And this eternal God, Moses says, sets the limits of our lives. He determines the days that we have to live. Look at verse 3 and verse 5. Verse 3 says, You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. And verse 5, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Humanity, we know from the story of creation, was created from the dust of the earth. And eventually we'll return to the dust of the earth, each one of us. One little girl was learning about this in her Sunday school class. She, she heard about the creation of Adam and the story of the Garden of Eden. And, and she was thinking about this as she was playing in her bedroom. And mom had evidently not vacuumed under the little girl's bed for some time. And in her playing, she saw that it was dusty under there. And she came down to mom who was in the kitchen and said, Mom, 
there's somebody under my bed, but I don't know if they're coming or going. Well, our coming and going is up to the sovereign control of God. In this life, God wants us to know that He is above and beyond us, and He also wants us to keep eternity in mind. You see, not only is God eternal in duration, He is only, He's also eternal in essence. In other words, He is changeless. He doesn't change. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, says Moses in verse 2. He is always fully God. He's always the same. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change, so that you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, there are many aspects of this doctrine, which we call the immutability of God, which is they're a blessing to us. But one of the blessings that comes easily to my mind is how this concept provides us with a link to the saints of the past. God himself is our connection to the people whose lives we read about in his word. Because often we read the scriptures and there's a nagging voice in the back of our minds saying, yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago. Yeah, but that was 3,000 years ago. How about now? Does it really work today? Maybe you think to yourself, of course David delighted in the Word of God. After all, he didn't have cable TV. But it seems so different today. We feel like spectators sometimes reading the Word. We're removed by time and by culture and by language. But the link to the Word of God and the people we read about in the Word of God is none of those things. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and He is the God of now. He is the link to what we see in the Word of God and the saints of old. And that provides us with the ability to look at the uh, exploits of the Bible characters and the things that they go through and what God says to them and ask ourselves the question, what do I learn about God here? because he's the same today. What do I see that God wants me to avoid today that he wanted them to avoid in their day? Because he's the same, his will is the same, his plans are the same. What do I see that I need to put to work and to live out in my life that he was teaching the saints of old because he's teaching me the same things today? Ask those questions as you read, for the Lord is the same and he wants to teach us like he taught them. He is the stability that we need in an ever-changing world. Things change. Now, I don't need to tell you that. You are experiencing that right now. Recently, I saw an interview with the city planner from the city of Atlanta, and he said that the official skyline picture of the city of Atlanta needs to be changed every six months because of the change in construction that's going on in that city. Things change. And sometimes it changes for the better. We call that progress. And sometimes it changes for the worse. And we call that deterioration. There are aspects in this battle that we're waging against this pandemic right now that will bring progress. Maybe we'll come to value one another a little bit more. Maybe we'll be a little more ready to care for one another. Maybe 
we'll see a medical breakthrough that will change the course of the way we're able to treat illness for the long duration. Progress. But God doesn't change. Even though we hear progress as a good thing, it may be shocking to understand God never progresses. Because if he changed, it would only be for the worse because he is already perfect. You can't change perfection for the better. So think of it this way. God does not mature. He does not go through stages of his life like we do. Even though we move through the stages of human existence, infant, toddler, childhood, teenage, young adult, middle age, senior citizen, and one day we get to that stage that I call the I can do whatever I want to because I am old and I don't care stage. Some of you listening are on that stage right now. But with each of these stages, we gain some things and we lose some things. Hey, I was a cute baby and I was a darling toddler, but I lost that. When I was playing soccer in high school, I could run for the whole game, but I lost that. When Sylvia and I were dating, we would stay out late at night, but we both lost that. But there are no stages with God. He does not gain or lose powers. He does not mature or develop. He doesn't learn or grow in understanding because he already knows it all. He always has, and he forever will. And his character doesn't change. He doesn't go through mood swings or periods of despondency. It's true that God can get angry, but what he's doing, he's getting angry and or, and or grieved at the things he sees us doing, the choices he sees us making. But these are legitimate emotions, not a character change. He doesn't grow bitter. He doesn't grow resentful. He doesn't get crotchety. His character doesn't change. He's never going to wake up one morning and get out of the wrong side of the bed and change all the rules of life. And God's purposes don't change. His plans don't change. He doesn't re reverse himself or go back on an agreement that he has made. We people, we change our minds all the time. And we, we change our minds because of two things. Number one, lack of foresight. I expected things to go a certain direction, but I didn't see this change coming. And because I didn't see this coming, I have to change my mind. Or lack of ability. I thought I could do it. I was ready to pull it off, but I just couldn't in the end. Our planet is experiencing both of these realities right now. We didn't see this virus coming. And in many ways, we are lacking the ability to fight it well. But neither of these things are ever true with God. He has perfect foresight and total ability all the time. So why is that idea important now? Because it's in times when your faith might falter that we need to know that God never falters. It's in these times that we need to cling to the one who never changes. Nobody has perfect faith, but you have faith in a perfect God. And your faith is only as good as its object. You, believer, have a perfect and unchanging God who is the object of your faith. Cling to him in these days and you will find stability. And embedded in all of this, there is a challenge for us. And the challenge actually shows up in verse 12 of Psalm 90. Moses writes this, Teach us to number our days aright, 
that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to number our days aright? What he's saying is this. Teach us to see the brevity of our lives so we get a clear picture of what really matters. Right now, this is important to us. The human race is being reminded right now of just how weak we are, just how frail we can become. A microorganism that was unexpected and unheard of has laid societies low and claimed many lives. We each have a set number of days as God looks down at the sweep of our history. But when he says num number our days, he's not saying that counting your days is really the issue. He's saying understand and remember that this life is brief and this life is not all there is. Understand and remember that we are here to use this life wisely in step with the will of the Lord. What you do with these days matters. Wisdom comes from seeing ourselves in comparison to the everlasting and unchanging God and in awestruck humility, turning to him in repentance and following his will. Wisdom comes when we remember that one day we will see him face to face. And wisdom asks the question, am I ready to see the eternal God? Have I turned to him in faith? Have I trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross? And am I using the days that he has given me to serve him? I hope that for you the answer to all those questions is yes. Because the message of the Bible is that this life is not all that there is. Jesus came and went to the cross so that those who receive the benefits of his forgiving work not only will have purpose in this life in these days, but be prepared to face God in the next. And now is the time to think about eternity. Now is the time to get to know the eternal God and realize that he loves you enough to provide a way for forgiveness and hope. How do we, how do we gain those things? Number one, we trust that the work that Jesus did on the cross will indeed cleanse us from our guilt and sin if we turn to him in faith. Number two, we call out to him in repentance and ask for that work to be applied to our hearts. And number three, we begin a new life, walking now together with our Lord, seeking to accomplish his purpose in the world. Now, maybe there's a sense that you're feeling right now that that's just what you need, that you haven't ever done that. And it's time to begin to get serious with Jesus for the first time. If that sense is something that you're feeling, it's not really because of anything that I'm saying, but it's because the Holy Spirit is using his word to touch your heart. And I'm gonna give you the opportunity to start in this journey of faith with Jesus. It always starts the same way. It always starts on the inside with your faith that the work of Jesus on the cross is able to pay the price for the guilt of your sin. That's why he went to the cross. And because he was God the Son come in the flesh, he rose from the dead and he lives today and he's able to save you. He's able to give you purpose in this life and a promise for the next. And you claim that all by faith. And I'm gonna help you express that faith in a simple prayer. If this is what you need, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. 
But why don't we all just take a moment and bow for prayer and ask the Lord to work. So let's pray together. If today you're sensing your need to say yes to Jesus and to be a part of the work that he's doing in the world and know that you have eternity with him in store, you say this to him, silently where you sit, Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again. And today, you can forgive my sin. You can make me new. You can wash away the guilt that I feel. Lord, do that work, I pray. I want to be forgiven. I want to be born again. And Lord, I don't know how many people are saying yes to that invitation right now, but I believe that as your message goes forward, you do the work. And so I pray for those who are turning to, to Christ in faith. I pray that they would be reassured that you are really working in their lives. And this decision will change the course of their life forever. I pray, Lord, that in these days when our world is filled with fear, that we would look to you in faith. And I pray that together we would see this as a moment to remember that this is not all there is, that there is eternity in view. And I pray that those who said yes to you this morning and those who are already walking with you in faith would rejoice that we are your eternal children. So bless us and work in us together, we pray, for we rejoice in all that we have in you. In your name we pray it. Amen. Now, if you prayed to receive Christ just a moment ago, or maybe you're interested in what that would actually mean for you, we have established uh, a, a text communication so that we can follow up with you a little bit and tell you more about this walk of faith in Jesus Christ. If you prayed the, uh, the, the prayer with me today, I'd like to send you a booklet that establishes some of the next steps that uh, you're here, that you can follow along uh, and make sure that you are uh, growing in your faith. And so to make that happen, would you text the word faith, that's the word faith, to 209-257-8768. And someone on the staff here at Quail Lakes Baptist Church will respond to you, get the information, and will send out uh, that booklet to you. Or maybe we'll just have a conversation with you so that you can be assured that God is working in your life and, and you can take those next steps that he has for you. Thanks for joining us in our broadcast this morning.